Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We've been in a series all about the importance of sharing your testimony. Two weeks ago, Pastor Danielle Frano started us off with a practical step-by-step method for telling your story and overcoming the fears or indecisions that we may have about how to share our testimony, what we actually say, and who we need to tell it to. Last week, we heard the incredible story of missionaries JT and Rachel Espeo and the miracles that happened when JT was trapped inside the start of the Sudanese Civil War. Today, Pastor Nicole is back to wrap up our series and help us better understand just how powerful our stories can be. No matter where you may find yourself in your story, our testimonies serve as a witness to the power and the promises and the goodness of God. And today she has a few friends with her who will share their stories as well. So let's get started today. Here's Pastor Nicole. In the United States Navy, there is a special operations force called the Navy SEALs. Ever heard of it? All right. Among the SEALs' many functions um, are special operation missions where they go into difficult environments like jungles or the Arctic, and they're tasked with capturing high-level targets and gathering intelligence behind enemy lines. I know because I used to be one. Just kidding. I've totally never been a DMC. Okay. Anyway. Um, so, but I've read about it. Okay. And the training is super extensive. Um, they actually say nothing can compare to the, they call it the BUDS training, which is basic underwater demolition seal training. Um, during this particular type of training, you have to survive 110 hours without sleep. You wouldn't even want to talk to me if I <laughs> if I survive that long without sleep. You have to carry a log over your head for hours. You have to do countless swims, endless runs, jump out of planes, and they say perhaps the hardest part is this thing called the pool comp, okay? So the pool comp uh, is where they put you underwater with all your scuba gear, and the instructor yanks the regulator out of your mouth. He, he ties uh, knots in your, in your air hose. He mocks you constantly, basically tries to get you to fail because you might uh, be in some of these circumstances someday and they want to see if you can make it. And your mind is naturally telling you you're going to die, but if you want to pass pool comp, you have to calmly follow all the protocol and not react to how things feel or appear around you. Okay, so the statistic is that 80% of people fail the training. 80% of people fail. So if 10 people go out uh, to to, uh, be this training, this BUDS training, only two survive and actually pass the training. Well, after 9-11, the Navy was desperate to train more SEALs, but they didn't want to water down the testing because they knew that these people needed to have um, this particular type of, of skills. And so they began to study the data. Now, the data produced some really interesting things. And I want to tell you about it today. First of all, the data said that um, actually the strong men or stubborn men uh, were not the ones that always uh, were able to pass the, um, the test. They were often the first to ring the bell and give up. But the Navy uncovered that the most successful men who made it through the testing were actually um, had a few former careers in common. Okay, so get ready for this. 
I, I was just blown away. Many of them had a certain former career, and this is what it was. They were used car salesmen or telemarketers. So if you're a used car salesman in this room, listen, you are probably going to pass the butts training. Um, but the psychologists in this particular study reasoned it this way, that used car salesmen and telemarketers have to learn to survive the seemingly never-ending rejection they receive by changing the story in their head. So whatever the angry customer would say to these people, they'd have to change the narrative. I mean, even just to talk to one more person, you have to remind yourself that what the people are telling you to your face can't be true. That all of these negative things, all of the things that people are believing about them or rejecting them or beating things up on them, that, it, that they can't be true even if they want to show up to their job one more day. So people who have practiced telling themselves the right story, and not just the story that's swirling around them, that those kind of people are mentally tough. And that's the kind of toughness, that unique internal strength, is what made these Navy SEALs survive. Fascinating, right? We tell stories, we live in stories, to make sense of the world around us. The Navy acknowledges just how important stories are for our lives to have significance. But before the Navy knew, Jesus knew. Jesus knew all along how important the story of your life and the story of my life would be. In fact, the scripture itself, much more than a book of laws or lessons, is a collection of stories, of people, of events. And together, they make up one story, one giant story of how God has worked and how God is working to restore a broken world. And the stories in the Bible are a lot like the stories we're living out right now. They're ordinary people in ordinary places encountering a loving and perfect God. People who are being told all the time uh, false things about themselves or false things about what's going to happen someday, hopeless things, but they're changing the story and they're remembering the story of God and the story of redemption and that if we're not dead, he's not done. That's the story that they're telling themselves. You know, people can doubt or debate the Bible, the existence of God, but no one can deny your personal story with God. It's your story. You get to have it. It's your testimony. And as we've been talking about this whole month, your testimony is one of the most effective tools that you have to spread the good news of God's grace. In fact, the word witness is the most frequently used word in the Bible to express a believer's primary role in the world. If you're a believer in Jesus, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to be a witness. You're created to be a witness. You are literally created to tell your story because it ultimately tells the story of God. You know I love to do word studies, and in Hebrew, the word testimony actually means that uh, it speaks of someone who sees something amazing or important and tells about it. That's what that word means. And so the Bible specifically commands every believer simply this, tell your story. Tell your story. Because telling your story matters. It has unique and powerful effect on things around you. 
And telling your story alters things in the supernatural. It changes things you can't always see with your own eyes. I want to look in Revelation 12 today. In Revelation 12, John, who is a disciple of Jesus, is actually prophesying. He's telling us about something that's going to happen at the very end of time. He's speaking about a certain moment in the future where there will be a great tribulation and a great battle, yet those who are believers in Jesus will overcome, they will not be defeated, and they will not be discouraged. And John is explaining the tools that these believers have and will have uh, to be overcomers. And so as we look at this passage in Revelation 12, I want us to look at it knowing John is talking about a, a moment that hasn't happened yet, but we can understand that these tools aren't just for that moment. They will be for that moment, but they're not just for that moment. They're also something that we can apply today, something we as believers in Jesus today can stand upon and use to be overcomers. So let me read it to you from Revelation 12, verse 11. It says, they, he's talking about the saints, the believers, triumphed over him, which is the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. All right, so there's two things that are important keys that we see in this verse of having victory over the enemy, victory over the enemy of our life, victory over the things that are trying to take us down, trying to discourage us, trying to confuse us, trying to take us away from the, the journey that God has uh, set for us, victory over the, the stories that we tell ourselves that are false sometimes, or the stories that people around us try to tell us that aren't true, and the things listed in these verses are meant to show us what to do when we get knocked down. Church, this is how we get up again. Okay, this is how we live our life, overcoming and in victory. First John says, triumph comes from the blood of the lamb. And, and what he means by that is the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus overcomes the enemy's story. Okay, the blood of Jesus overcomes the enemy's accusations. When you start believing, I'm not good enough, I've messed up too bad, I can't get it right, I'm in trouble, I'm worthless, I'm a failure, God won't like me anymore, I, I probably shouldn't go to church because I'm not living my life right, I probably shouldn't have these blessings because I, I, I've done bad things, God, God thinks I'm an outcast, he won't even speak to me. These accusations are defeated, they mean nothing, because Jesus already paid the penalty of our sins on the cross. And if you are a believer in Jesus, you are made righteous, you're made right by the work of Jesus on the cross. And so none of those accusations can stand. Jesus himself goes to the courtroom and he is your witness. He paid for it all in full. And so what John is reminding us here is, look, you might feel that way, but none of those accusations get to stay that way. None of those are true because you triumph by the blood of Jesus. That is true. That happened, and nothing about that can ever be undone. And so all of those things that you feel or think, those stories that are coming at you that aren't true, you can triumph because of the blood of the Lamb. 
Now, when the blood of Jesus is talked about here, it's not implying that you have to literally uh, be splattered or touched by the blood of Jesus. However, this verse is speaking of Jesus' literal death in our place, of Jesus' literal judgment he bore on our behalf. This is what saves each person. Listen, the cross really happened. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a, a metaphor. The cross really happened, and the results of the cross are really true, and they're still at work today. The blood that was shed on the cross all those years ago is still working today. It's still working today. And Jesus' victory over sin and death and the grave is our victory today. Because it is the work of Jesus on the cross through his shed blood that each of us can have assurance that when Satan whispers those lies into our mind, we can say, no, 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 by the blood of the lamb, those are victorious, those are done, those are paid for. I don't have to live in that guilt and shame anymore. Yeah, you can get excited about that. Now, for clarity, um, the blood of Jesus, like saying that or, or praying that, it's not like, a, like abracadabra. It's not a chant. It's not something, if you say this, this will happen and, and this will keep you safe. It's not a formula. Listen, your full understanding and comprehension and focus and your full belief that the death of Jesus on the cross happened and this is what happened out of that is what wins the battle. It's not a formula. It's not a uh, say these three words and you'll be safe and protected. It is this full understanding and comprehension that by the blood of Jesus, you can live in victory. In fact, today, if you're here and you're like, you know, I've never, don't feel like I've ever fully comprehended. I've never understood what the blood of Jesus did for me. Uh, in, in the first um, message of this series, Pastor Danielle talked about how when she was, before she became a Christian, people would use that word like blood of Jesus and she'd be like, that's freaking me out, you know? And if maybe today you're like, look, I don't fully understand that. Listen, I want you to stop by the prayer tables to my right and to my left before you leave today because there's prayer team members that would love to just explain to you more and give you an opportunity to make a decision to fully accept and believe what the literal blood of Jesus did for you on the cross, and what is still doing for you today. All right, second in Romans, or I'm sorry, Revelation 12, in this verse, um, we see that we overcome, so by the blood of the lamb, and secondly, by the word of testimony. So what does that mean? A little bit easier to understand. We overcome by your story, Knowing, remembering, and telling the work of God in your life protects you from the enemy's plan of deception. Listen, when you tell what you've seen, when you tell what you heard, when you have experienced God, when you do those things, you will not be deceived by the enemy's tactics and lies that God can't do it. Your faith will grow. Others' faith will grow. And you will begin to see the good works of God more clearly around you. The enemy wants you to keep quiet. 
He wants you not to share the good news of Jesus. Do you know why? Because where there is testimony, there is victory. Where there's testimony, there's victory. Where there's testimony, there's triumph. So what keeps you from telling your story? Is it fear? Is it lack of time? Is it lack of focus? Maybe you're not experiencing victory because you're not sharing your testimony. Revelation says the blood of Jesus and the word of testimony bring triumph. Now the book of Revelation isn't the only place that testimony is referenced in scripture as being powerful. I want to read to you from Psalm 107, 1 through 2. It explains that testimony stirs up worship. It says, um, give thanks to the Lord, for he's good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Uh, there's a hymn that says this. Let the I can't sing at all, so I'm just going to say it. But let the redeemed of the Lord, what is it? Say so, say so. It's like this whole thing. The psalmist is inviting the people of God. If you've been redeemed, if you've been pulled out of the pit, if you've been rescued, if God has been good to you even for one day, if God has poured out his grace upon you when you didn't deserve it, then say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Do you know why? Your story makes me excited and makes me worship God. My story makes you give thanks to God. It highlights the goodness and the faithfulness of who God is. You know, outside of scripture and prayer, testimony is the best way to come to an understanding of who God is in a personal way. And actually, I want to take a minute and I want to let a short testimony stir up some worship in the, this place this morning. So Jared, would you come? Would you guys give thanks to Jared for sharing with us? Good morning, everybody. Oh, this is very different talking on the mic. It makes you more nervous than singing. Uh, anyway, so um, my name is Jared. If you don't know me, uh, my beautiful wife sings with me, Jamie. And uh, I wanted to share a little bit about what my testimony is. Firstly, it's kind of interesting that she started out with BUDS training because I actually went through the physical screening test for that program. And it's very, very hard, actually. I ended up being a rescue swimmer instead. But just interesting that it's in the message. Um, Growing up, I was in church. I grew up in church. I learned all the church things to do, um, but some bad stuff was happening. I got molested from age seven all the way up to about 18. My parents, when I tried to tell them about it, they didn't really want to acknowledge it, that it was happening. There was this darkness that was kind of encroaching in my life that kept telling me those narratives in my head. I got into addiction, um, and then when I was in addiction, I uh, ended up really kind of getting down into a dark place uh, I ended up getting set free from addiction, actually. Uh, I got into a work accident after that had happened, and uh, my arm, I wasn't going to be able to use it anymore. I'd have like 30% use. I could barely tie my shoes. That actually got healed after I got uh, set free from addiction, and I also got delivered from demons, demons that used to tell me that I was worthless, suicidal, that I didn't matter. And when I went through that process, actually, my... Um, Young adult pastor told me what had happened. He said that some of those demons said that they had been assigned to me at a young age. And they'd been assigned to me, and they'd also told him specifically that they were um, meant to keep me from his church because his church could help me and set me free. And what happened was after that, 
Uh, my uh, now wife actually came all the way from here in Pennsylvania to Arizona, came and saw me. And the Lord started revealing that we were going to get married. Now we have a full-time ministry where we clean people's houses and businesses during the day. We do worship at night. And I've been saved, delivered, and healed. Hey, give God some thanks for Jared's story. We praise you, God. Hallelujah. And if God can do it for Jared, God can do it for you. It stirs up worship when we tell our story. I've been married almost 20 years, and I've learned over these years that my husband is a bottom line kind of guy. Anyone else a bottom line kind of guy? Are you married to one of them? So he wants to know the punchline first. So when I call him, I start by saying, the car is fine, everything is fine, but this deer ran out in front of me, and then I had to swerve, and then I like got back on the road, and then I let my drink spill, but I was able to like put it down. You know, he's like, okay, okay. Or, you know, I ended up finding the wallet, all my money is safe, but I lost it three times today. Can I tell you all the places where I lost my wallet, and then I found it? I have learned that Joel will listen to all my suspense and drama that I want to tell him as long as he knows the ending of the story. I realize that some of you in this room today, you feel like you can't tell your story like Jared is because it feels unfinished. Maybe you're in the middle of a hard situation and you're battling something right now, today, and you're not on the other side of it yet. You want to say, God provided the money or God delivered me from my addiction, or God restored my marriage, or God brought my prodigal child home. But in the moment, what do you do? How do you tell your story when you don't know the ending yet? When you have questions about whether victory and triumph and all of these awesome things will happen. I want you to hear what God told my friend Nikki when she asked this very question. Nikki, will you come up here? Will you guys give her a round of applause? Good morning. My name is Nikki, and I'm a single mom of two beautiful children. My dad gave me away at the age of 10, and from 10 to 18, I was raised in group homes and foster care. Not much was taught, but being told what to do and when to do it was my life growing up. When I turned 18, I was released to the world with no tools whatsoever. I found my security and worth in men and alcohol. I took advantage of the beauty God gave me for my own selfish needs, which ultimately led to destruction. Destruction not only to myself, but my family, my friends, and most importantly, my relationship with Jesus. At some point, I realized the alcohol only helped for the night, and the men lasted only on their terms to only crush my heart and spirit. So I would drink more and hope to find it in me to take my own life. Now, I've always known about Jesus. I grew up Catholic before my dad gave me away, and I learned about a relationship with Jesus in group homes because they are required to offer religion. At times, I would be reminded of the peace I would feel while in the environment of Jesus, and I would try my best to return to that comfort. To this day, I am reaping the consequences of a lot of my choices, and I will say that this has been the hardest time of my life. I have come so far from where I was at, but I know I still have so much further to go. I have to often remind myself of all the times God has came through for me, which I did not deserve. I find these moments to be miracles. Miracles don't always have to be some big thing all at once, but just the little things that can happen throughout your day. 
To this day, my situation looks very bleak, but my God is a good God, and he will show up at just the right time. Most of us would wish for an easier road, but let me tell you that if it wasn't for this road, I wouldn't be as close to God as I am today. I try hard to live the best Christian life I can each day, but I am no different than any other human being. I struggle day to day. The enemy knows where to jab. He will place those people in situations right in front of me, right after a small victory or as soon as I leave this building. Let me remind you what scripture says. John 16, says, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I believe the next chapter of my life is the breakthrough I've been waiting for. Why? Because doors have been closing left and right. The people I would normally talk to are no longer available. Bridges are burning because of the view and opinion someone has on me. And I have finally realized that I have been relying on the people that I know to perform the miracle that only God can really provide for my problem. I have this peace that God is gonna show up and restore everything I have lost and have had to fight through that was not fair. And so God says in Joel chapter two, verses 25 and 26, the Lord says, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locust, the hopping locust, the stripping locust, and the cutting locust. It was I who sent this great destroying army against you. Once again, you will have all the food you want, and you will praise the Lord your God, who does these miracles for you. Never again will my people be disgraced. God has promised to restore the years the locust has eaten, but we must do our part by choosing to accept his unmerited grace and mercy. It all comes down to a choice. Praise God, he is a merciful beyond measure, and we have the power to accept this promise he has given, being made whole again through Jesus Christ. He is the God of the beginning. He's the God of the end. And he is God of the middle. And I think for some of you today, God wants you to know he is God of the middle. Tell your story. Tell your unfinished story in hope and anticipation that God is not done writing it yet. Because testimony encourages others. And like Nikki, even when you tell your half-done story, God can use it. He uses it. He uses it to encourage generations behind you and ahead of you. I heard this once about our stories. Never put a period where God puts a comma. Listen, God knows what he's doing. Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith like this. Faith, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You may not be able to see how that relationship can be mended and healed, but you must be sure of what you hope for in your story and certain of what you do not see. That's the, the, the Navy mental toughness that they're talking about. The faith that you believe God's word to be true, even though everything around you is telling you the story that it's hopeless. Even though everything around you is telling the story that this is not going to work out, you believe with mental toughness, Hebrews 11.1, 1, with faith that God said he would work it out. He is good, and I will stand on that promise today. 
I will stand on that truth today. You may pray for someone's situation and it doesn't improve at all, but faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. You might have experienced victory and hope and then something unexpected happened and you find yourself back where you started. That can bring up all kinds of doubt and fear, but faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The last testimony that I have for you today, I want you to hear from my friend Sherry. Sherry, would you come today and would you clap for Sherry as she comes? Good morning. Thank you, Pastor Nicole, for the privilege of speaking today. You know how we make plans and then God changes them? What I'm going to talk to you today about is completely different from what I originally planned on saying. The highlight of what I was going to say is still true. Here goes. 499 days ago, I was told that I had four to six months to live because of how the cancer had progressed in my brain. Well, I'm still here. Declaring that he is an awesome God and that as my shirt says, I am living proof. On October 3rd, when Nicole asked me to speak, my main cancer was stable and my brain was clear. That brings me to my comma. On October 9th and 10th, my scans came back and my cancer had progressed. It had progressed in my chest, my lungs, and in the abdominal and renal area. And there were also several tumors in my brain, including one at the top of my cervical spine that is affecting motor control and some of my ability to feel. But God is still in my story. He is Elohim, sovereign, and he alone determines my days. Psalms 139.16 tells us that your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Since my initial cancer diagnosis on December 23rd, 2021, God has done amazing things in my story. He took the shy, stuttering introvert who before all this, I couldn't be standing here today. I would be purple and I would be stammering. But here I am talking. He took, he is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He has supplied all my needs. It's crazy. I don't even know I have a need and he provides it for me before it happens. He is El Shaddai, who is providing me with the strength and with the wisdom so that I can proceed. He has filled me with joy. I can't contain it. I'm preaching to everyone I meet. Everyone I encounter, how great is my God? He changed me to be a brighter light for his, for him and to let others know, I mean really know that he is the God of healing, but he is also the God of love. People ask me, how are you getting through this? How are you so happy? Why aren't you scared? And my response, then, now, and forever, he is my hope and strength. He determines my days, and I put all of my trust in him. Thank you. All right. 
Pastor Quint, will you help Sherry stand right here? And will a few of you close by just lay your hands on her? We're going to pray this morning. We're going to pray for Sherry. If you're far away, just stretch your hand like this. Jesus, we come to you right now. And we pray that you would give Sherry the grace to endure the challenge before you. God, we thank you for her testimony. We thank you, Lord, that her testimony reminds us, God, that you can do it again, that you've done it before and you can do it again. And so we pray for courage to deal with this diagnosis. We pray against fear. We pray that every day of her life she could stand on the word and the promises around her, that with faith she can see the end result even if it doesn't feel like it's around her. Lord, we pray that you would put healing in her body right now, miraculous healing that will tell the faithful story of God from the top of her head to the soles of her feet. Father God, we pray in Jesus' name that she would experience a full deliverance from cancer, that it would go out of her body in Jesus' name. And Lord, that she could miraculously stand here again and tell the faithful story of a God who can do what no one else can do. And so, Lord, we join our faith together with Sherry's, and we thank you, God, that you are not done yet. You're not done writing her story. God, thank you for the example she is to have joy as she waits for you to meet her in this place. God, we love you, and it's in your strong name we pray. Amen. Amen. So listen, here's the best part. Here's the best part. God loves you, bottom line people. And here's how I know. We don't have to guess how our story ends. Jared, Nikki, Sherry, me, you, if you're a believer in Jesus, we know how this story ends. This is our testimony. We were broken and hurting and lost and defeated, but God sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not die, but have eternal life. Listen, we know how this story ends. It's victorious, it's triumphant. Jesus didn't stay in the grave, he rose again. First John 5, 4 says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. I thought you'd like jump up during this time, so let's go. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus, right? So listen, stand to your feet. Let's sing this together. Don't stop telling yourself your story. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have victory. You have hope. You have redemption. If you're not dead, he's not done. Okay, let's sing out this story. God, we trust you. You're writing our Three rows. 
Thank you for listening to the Eerie First Podcast. We'd love it if you give us a rating and a review on your podcast app, and please subscribe so you never miss a message. You can follow Eerie First on Facebook or Instagram, or visit eeriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.